The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today we'll be continuing our interview with Anna Christina and hear the second part of her terrifying, amazing story of how while her husband was attempting to murder her, she encountered first the Holy Spirit and then Jesus. If you missed part one of her interview two weeks ago, I would suggest you go back into our Talk Zone website archive and listen to that part first. Anna, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Two weeks ago, you, you told us the frightening story of how you were warned by the Holy Spirit that you were in danger of dying. At first, you thought it was your brother who was in danger, but by the time you realized it was your death you were being warned about, your husband had already poisoned you. You found you were paralyzed, but the comfort of the Holy Spirit was with you, and you described how the Holy Spirit answered many of your questions. Meanwhile, your husband was raping your paralyzed body and still trying to kill you by suffocation, but then you saw a vision of Jesus' crucifixion, and that made your experience more bearable. So, Anna, could you continue the story from where we left off? Yes, Lee. I believe we left off at the point where he held my nose and was um, shutting it, and I couldn't breathe uh, while I was on the floor. And he kept it shut, and I and to the point where my mouth as a reflex just opened up and I grasped for air and at that point he let go of my nose I startled him and he walked out of the room and he left me again here I'm curled up on the floor totally paralyzed and totally naked and he walks away and I'm lying there again being comforted by the Holy Spirit during his absence, like when he walks away and so forth. I'm not feeling any fear. I'm in total peace, amazingly enough. But at the point where when he shut my nose, this is when I realized that there is something going on there with him. And I remembered my life insurance. I had a million-dollar life insurance, and he was the beneficiary of half a million of that. And when we filed the divorce, I didn't think of canceling that life insurance. And this is when I realized there is foul play. And then he walked back in the room, and he started the process again, and he shut my nose again, and I grasped, grasped for air again as a reflex, and... He let go, and he walked away. And again, I'm on the floor, just waiting to see what's going to happen next. The feeling of lack of oxygen at the time when he shuts my nose is just, I, I can't describe it. Thank God there's a reflex to, to open your mouth and grasp for air. But then he came again, and this time... He bent down, he held my nose shut, but he gently put his hand on my mouth. And he covered my mouth and he's holding my nose. And at that point, I couldn't breathe. 
but I couldn't grasp for air. It was such, not an uncomfortable, it's more like an agonizing feeling when you can't breathe anymore and your chest is collapsing and he won't let go this time. But I see a vision of Jesus. I don't see his face at this point, but I see a white robe. I can see up to like over his knees and his hand is stretched to me. And I felt like he's standing there waiting for me to come and I want to come to him. And the agonizing feeling of lack of breathing didn't matter anymore. My concentration was on him, a feeling of love and peace. And then I felt he could stop the whole process or I can go with him. I don't know how I felt that, but I didn't want him to stop the process. I I wanted to go with him, and I was afraid that he would go without me. And I just wanted to endure the pain if at the end I was going with him. It didn't matter what was happening to my body. And I just stretched out to him, and I, I knew that was it. I, I couldn't breathe. I was collapsing, and he wouldn't uh, let go this time. And I knew this was the end. Mm. And the next thing I remember was seeing the, the sky full of white clouds beautiful white cloud, and they were opening up, and I saw a bright blue sky, beautiful blue, and around it, there were flying large birds, like giant birds, animals flying with colors. Amazing colors. I've never seen these colors before. I don't know how you put these colors together, but just beautiful colors. It was like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Avatar, Lee. Yes. And you did. Okay, remember these birds that they were flying with? It was similar to that. And when I saw this movie a year after my encounter, I thought for sure whoever produced it must have had an NDE or something because these... <laughs> birds were similar to exactly what was flying around the sky. (laughs) And I then was standing there, and I was standing in a garden. And around the garden, it felt like there was a banquet, and it was green. I didn't see flowers. I don't remember flowers. I remember greenery. And uh, it it was a feel of a wedding, and I could see a bride. And for For an instant, I thought it was me, but it wasn't me. And then I walked into another room. And at the door of that room, I saw a being of light. And that being was my mother. I recognized her. She had died a year earlier. And right away, I recognized her soul. I didn't recognize her face. There was no face. It was just a being of light standing the same height of my mother. 
and instantly we recognized each other. And it was such a warm, beautiful feeling. And she walked me in this room. And my sister, Nadia, walked up to me. And seeing Nadia in heaven or paradise was an amazing feeling because Nadia had committed suicide. And we were brought up thinking, if you commit suicide, you go to hell. But she was in heaven. And that was just so comforting seeing her there. And I was standing there telling her, I don't know how we were talking, we were communicating somehow. And I was telling her, Nadia, I can't take it. Uh, I just had so much joy. It was so overwhelming that I, I couldn't contain it. And I was describing that feeling to her and telling her, I can't take it anymore. It's just too much. And she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I, I couldn't imagine it to get better than that. And she walked me out to another room, and there I saw my father. And he came out, and he had he'd been killed about 30 years earlier in a car accident. And just encountering him was just amazing. Just standing there with my sister, mom, and dad. And then they, they said, let's go. We have a banquet with Jesus. And I'm saying, come again? What? A banquet? Are you guys kidding? Like, I'm going to see Jesus. They said, come, come. <laughs> and they walk away. And somehow I didn't follow them. I don't know what the heck I was doing. And I walked to another room. And in that room, I saw the ex-pope of the Coptic Orthodox Church. And he was, this man was such a spiritual, loving, down-to-earth man that I loved so much. We all loved. We didn't worship him. We just loved him because he was such a spiritual man. And he was there. And he goes, child, where have you been? And I'm standing there <laughs> trying to explain to him why I left the Coptic Church and I've been going to the to Calvary, and I'm trying to explain to him, you know, well, I didn't find much love and kindness in my church. And he goes, child, what is your name? And I told him my real name. And he, my name meant kindness in in our language and he said child mm -hmm. you're looking for it outside and you are what we need hurry up child there is no time hurry up there's no time and he was rushing me out of there and mm. then i saw a face that was being revealed and it was slowly being revealed from head, like the forehead. And it was the face of Jesus. And he was revealing it slowly. And I could see his eyes. And then he was revealing his nose. Again, slowly, but he had a long nose. And it was taking a long time to reveal his nose. And at that point, I said, you're Jewish, aren't you? 
and he just smiled. <laughs> like, who says that to Jesus when you see him? And his whole face was revealed, and, and I was in awe, <laughs> just in awe seeing him. And that was it. That was the last thing, I last image I saw in heaven. And then I was back in my room, and I could see my body at this point. Sam was holding it, and he was crying over me, you know. Yeah, right. And he's holding me, and somehow I jump in my body. I get back in my body, and I jump out of bed, and I'm standing there, and you could, you should have seen the look on his face now. You know, here he is. He just killed this woman. And I'm standing strong. I'm no longer paralyzed. I'm still naked, but I didn't care at this point. And he just, he was crying. He was laughing. And, you know, that was it at this point. <laughs> I came back. Well, now you had mentioned something about uh, playing games with Jesus like you were a little girl. Oh, that was a vision. That was a vision when I, um, he was playing hide and seek with me. It's crazy. And at that point, <laughs> was this what, was, was this while you were in heaven with him or is this something that you, you had, uh, subsequent or before? You no, know, that was, uh, before when, I, when I spent the night with the Holy Spirit paralyzed. That's what I was going, I was seeing visions and dreams, and that was one vision I saw when I was a child um, mm -hmm. in heaven and just playing hide-and-seek with him. It was a beautiful vision. It's, it sounded like that, and, and it seems to me that uh, uh, the, the joy that children can experience, that, we, that, that whole phrase about you have to turn again and be like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven might, might really resonate uh, might really be true. Yes, absolutely. When I saw myself being a child, as opposed to being this executive, you know, like on, in this world, you're, you know, we have all these titles, but in the spiritual world, I was a child. This was all new to me. I've never, I was a nobody. I, I you know, I'm still a nobody. Uh, but <laughs> I was a child of God, and it was amazing. Um, but, you know, my journey... And I wrote the book about it to tell people, like, it was the journey of death itself as opposed to the after death. It was, you know, the encounter of death and the encounter of God being with me, comforting me while I'm being tortured. And I wrote the book to give comfort to other people who lost a loved one to a horrific death. Letting them know, like, I feel since, again, I'm a nobody, and he was comforting me, I feel God, regardless of what religion you are, he doesn't like us being victimized. And he comes to comfort us. Now, not necessarily to save us, but to comfort us uh, and take us and escort us to the other side. And it doesn't matter... What's happening to our body as we leave this earth? It doesn't matter the, the way we die. Even it was worse than, you know, there's people who died a more horrific death. But the, the concentration on the love and the peace that you encounter as you're going to the other side is 
so overwhelming that it doesn't matter what happens to our body. It's just, I I can't explain it. It's just amazing. I took you away from, um, you were telling us what it was like after you came back into your body and uh, how how shocked your husband was that you were no longer paralyzed. Why don't you continue with that? Well, and I mean, you know, so many events happened afterwards, the uh, encounter events, you know, people weren't believing me. I ended up in a mental hospital, like just craziness, craziness. And it's so hard to, uh, you know, say it all in such a short time. But what happened that's significant is eventually I got a forensic hair analysis to find out what really happened to me because at this point we didn't know what was happening and when my brother heard that I was raped when I was being paralyzed he felt no something you know somebody was trying to kill you here and we did the forensic and they found out I had tremendous amount of barium and lithium and mercury and so much but um, barium was the significant which was 2,700 the amount of the normal person, and that was three months after my encounter. And barium causes paralysis. And mm. the idea here, I believe he was giving it to me slowly in my coffee. Um, in the few weeks he was staying at home because he didn't have much time, but then when I was leaving to go to Egypt, he had to finish me off that night. So he must have put so much in my food and my rice to finish me off, and that's what caused the paralysis. And I believe he was planning to put me in the bathtub and just drown me. And we hear a lot about that, people just drowning in a bathtub, and they say, oh, it's an overdose, and that's why he was giving me the Xanax. But but you know what? I don't think anybody just drowns in a bathtub. The idea of we grasp for air when we can't breathe and uh, no one just drowns without somebody helping them drown and luckily I was fat or overweight and he couldn't get me in the bathtub <laughs> 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 that's when I screwed up all his plans and then he tried to finish me off with his hand <laughs> um, it's an interesting thing you know when you when you tell your story um a person would think, why would the Holy Spirit not make it clear that it was you who was going to be killed rather than your rather than your uh, brother? Yeah. Well, he did, but, make it, but I did but, assume but, it at the beginning. Uh-huh. Right, but but the thing is that if you, if you hadn't thought it was your brother, if you hadn't intended to buy a ticket and fly to, to Egypt to see your brother, you, he wouldn't have accelerated this process, and you might just have died. Uh, over a, a you know longer period of time, so in a way that mistake was the what saved you. Exactly, exactly. Because I could have died in Egypt, and they wouldn't have done any analysis, and they would have thought, oh, she got a heart attack, and this man would be enjoying you know half a million dollars, my social security, everything that I was supporting him. Uh, but the Lord needed to save me. But I had to go through the encounter. Now, he could have saved the whole thing, but I believe he needed to shut my eyes for me to see what this man is capable of. Because, remember, I was addicted to this man. I was addicted to him, and I could, you know, he keeps coming back in my life. And the Lord had a different plan for me. But he finally had to 
me through this for me to wake up and see, you know, the the man I was living with uh, was a different man. He wasn't a narcissist. He was a sociopath. And I didn't see it. And only when I was paralyzed, blind on the floor, <laughs> I saw everything. And it was a blessing in disguise. It was the most amazing day of my life was, you know, a murder. And again, this is something, two things, coming back and not being paralyzed again after all, you know, what I went through is a proof that it wasn't just a dream because a lot of people question or some people question, well, you were, you know, you had all this medicine in your mind. You could have been hallucinating. I say, well, yes. But when I wake up, I wouldn't be, uh, I would still be paralyzed. What were the circumstances that had had you placed in a mental institution for a while? Well, he, with his sociopath attitude, he made everybody think I was having a nervous breakdown. And being a CFO, being overworked, and the man loves me so much. And again, I had no evidence of abuse or being paralyzed anymore, and people thought I was hallucinating, even though I didn't mention the near death. The Lord asked me not to mention anything, and I still was put in a mental hostel thinking that I'm hallucinating and I'm having a nervous breakdown. That's how much he was able to convince everybody and the family. Well, not the family at the time. They didn't put me. The police put me in there. And uh, because no one could believe what was happening, they thought this man just loved me to death, <laughs> literally to death. And yes. um, I was just hallucinating. And it's sad. You hear about the story and you think this is in a third world country, but this was happening in the States. I'm not going to say what state it was uh, because my book is anonymous to, pr- to protect my children, everybody in the book. Uh, you would think this did not happen in the state and all the circumstances that happened to me afterwards are bizarre. Mm. And it's sad, but, you know, it is, I had to go through all of it. And you're not alone, of course. There's so many women who are being um, abused by their husbands to various degrees, perhaps not murder, but... Uh, oftentimes worse than murder because uh, it's just an ongoing horror story that they're living with. And I had said in the previous show that that your book, My Sweet Encounter with Death, ought to be on the bookshelf of every uh, abused women's shelter uh, in the country because it it not only does it uh, tell how, how easily women can be tricked and fooled, but also how much Jesus is there to comfort and love and the Holy Spirit as well. So it's it's um it's both sides of the of the coin in in a really remarkable way. Exactly, exactly. And as you know, I was listening to Yvonne uh, of your show last week, uh, Yvonne Sinedon, and she was talking about Jesus, how he was the first person to comfort a woman, and it's true. He's always comforting us, especially women. But I'm sure he's there for everybody. He loves us all. Um, and his love superseded any bitterness or any uh, abuse, emotional abuse that I encountered here. And that is why when people, you know, they ask me, aren't you bitter about your husband? Aren't you mad? Are you, how could you be so happy? And, it, 
you know, I've forgiven him because of the love and the compassion that was put in my heart after my encounter. Now, forgiving doesn't mean he's ba- he is allowed to come back in my life. No, this man is away. But you forgive him because he's not worth it uh, to carry that bitterness into your life. Uh, and that's what the transformation happened, that I encountered something beyond this world to make me forgive such uh, a bizarre and horrific experience where your loved one, you know, kills you with his own hands. And it's only the comfort of the Lord that can transform that. Do you forgive? Um, you've forgiven, and that's really a healing process for you. Do you think um, uh, crimes of this sort are easily forgiven by God? What do you think God's attitude is toward this? Well, I feel God's attitude to the victim, like I mentioned, he, he comforts us while we're being murdered. As far as a person committing a crime, that's really between him and God. I do believe God does forgive if that person comes to a realization and asks for forgiveness. God is so so overwhelming love, we can't describe it. If I, who is nothing, can forgive this man, you think God wouldn't forgive him? Who has beyond love? Of course. You know, who am I to give a man like that, that uh, I am full of what I am, you know what I mean? So, yes, I do believe God forgives tremendously because he is love. He is yes. love. If you uh, could speak to all the women who are being abused, uh, either physically or psychologically, right now, what would you tell them? I would tell them that there is a power beyond this world, a friend that is in every little detail of our life. And that's what he revealed to me. And he's become my best friend. And I would tell them, he is real and very near. God is real and very near. Just seek him. And he will give you the power to get out of any situation you are in. But you need to ask for that. And he will just either harden your heart towards that situation and that man and will allow you to get out. He will help you. He has become my soulmate. He's become my best friend. And I would ask them or seek for them to pray for them to find him and get that power to get out of that situation. Because they can do it. If I can do it, they can do it. And many I would church leaders. Many church. Le- I was going to say many church leaders um, uh, tell people, especially wives, that they have to stay in uh, an abusive relationship because um, because God wants them to, or God wants uh, marriage above all. Uh, but you're saying, I think, in effect. Jesus will give them the strength to end that marriage if, if it's necessary. Would you agree? Of the situation. I know in the Bible it says God hates divorce. And I do believe God hates divorce because he hates the consequences of divorce and what it does to children and so forth. But he will give us the power to get out of a situation like that because 
he does not want us to be living in these circumstances. No, this is not of God. This is evil. Yes. Well, once again, we're out of time, Anna. Uh, tell, tell the listeners how they can find your book, um, A Sweet Encounter with Death. It's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. Uh, I would love for people to contact me through my website, which is the same name, My Sweet Encounter with Death. Write to me. Uh, I will pray for them. I will talk to them about the NDE. I'd love to hear from my readers and your listeners. Oh, that's great. Well, I want to thank our guest, Anna Christina, for describing her amazing, horrifying NDE and how it affected her life. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, including the one that she did two weeks ago, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANDS, check on their website, iands.org, and tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying... Thanks for listening.